Oliver, great to have you joining us. You're a bit of an expert on podcasts and interviews. So I guess our challenge today, or the challenge for me, I should say, is to make sure we can find some content that people haven't heard before. But welcome, really pleased to have you joining us. It's always a good time to exchange and get new ideas. So I actually enjoy being on a couple of these chats. I look forward to it. Good. Well, we've got a very active, engaged audience out there who's listening on, on Sunday morning. So you'll be joining them on their run or their cycle ride or even doing the ironing. And you're in Zurich just now, I think. That is correct. They started Zurich in Switzerland, uh, have been here for about eight years, spent about four years before that in London, but originally from South Africa. So a long way to Switzerland. Let's talk a little bit about Imbus. So you're the CEO, you're also co-founder. The company was founded back in 2018, or you, you kind of pivoted from something you were doing before that. We'll hear a little bit about. You've raised $16 million. You've got 42 employees. You're recently acquired by Duck Creek. Mm -hmm. And the way I think of you is you're the glue that connects the payment pipeline between insurers and their customers and suppliers. And it looks like you're working with some of the industry leaders. As you said, you yourself have moved around a bit, got a fair amount of experience. I know that includes working as an actuary. You worked in South Africa with Liberty Life and then also with Swiss Re. So that was my very potted history of your life. Anything critical I've missed in there before we get into details? <laughs> no, not at all. My youth career in football before uh, deciding to go more the work route rather than the professional football route and you know, making my way, as you mentioned, to the UK, where really my entrepreneurial journey also started. You've chosen the wrong podcast host if you want to talk about football, because Robin Mertens has deep knowledge of football, and <laughs> I'm going to move swiftly on on that point. <laughs> I see you founded your first business when you were when you were 16. Love to hear a bit more about what the motivation for that was and what it was. You know, like most companies, it's purely selfish. So as a 16-year-old, I like to play computer games, you know, sort of getting into the computer side of things. And my parents gave me some money to buy a PC, but I always wanted a better PC than they were willing to give me money for. And so I was always looking for the cheapest place to buy computer parts. And one day I got hold of like a price list of computer parts that was significantly cheaper than anything I could find anywhere else. So I made my way there with a the bicycle. I got there, be like, yeah, I want to buy these parts. No, like, well, are you a registered company? This is for registered companies to buy and resell. So I was like, oh, no. So I went over, I registered a company. I was back. Two days later, I bought cheap PC parts. Um, and then my friends wanted some. Then my friends' parents wanted computers. And out of that grew a computer sales business with a friend. So, you know, purely <laughs> selfish and uh, like any good story, just out of uh, personal need. But I guess the difference is, and this shows your entrepreneurial qualities, you didn't just give up when they said this is for businesses. You're like, okay, First problem, how do I go and solve that, solve it, and move on? And then and then what happened to the business? Because that sounds like that was quite a healthy start when you were early stage, or even pre-career, I guess. For sure. And I used it to pay for my university in South Africa, paid for my courses and everything. So that was really good. And I mean, obviously, eventually, I moved into the corporate side of the world. And, and uh, with that, the company also, me and my friend decided to close the company and move on in our life as uh, and absolved our time in the corporate world and you know, learned some lessons there, uh, but found my way back into the entrepreneurial world. Well, you should be a poster child for the actuarial profession. Uh, Oliver Viner started his business, had a really exciting time doing computers, but then decided that actuarial was where he wanted to spend the next stage of his career. Welcome or welcome back, Matthew Grant here. And as I'm sure you can tell, this is going to be another great discussion. Well, whether you're an expert in payments or you're just curious about how to find a need and build a business, I'm sure you'll find something here in my discussions with Oliver to inspire you. 
I certainly did. Now, Inverse is another one of our Instep members. And if you're working in insurance, technology or consulting or indeed anywhere else and want to find out why people are working with us at Instep to discover and discuss some of the best solutions for fixing the insurance industry's data analytics and technology problems, then please do contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us. Hello at Instep.co. That's it. Let's get back to our chat. then went off and decided to go back into the world and looks like you were doing a, a flight tracking product I think it was, was that parametric based when you when you started sort of reaching out on your own again probably much like my first startup this one was exactly the same I, I traveled a lot for my corporate job you know for those who fly through Heathrow know that you have to wait by the board and they'll tell you like 40 minutes before which gate you actually have to go to now when you fly very often that is super annoying so me and uh, my co-founder, Carl, who's uh, the CFO of, of the company, he also traveled a lot. He has a CA background, financial controlling, and we built an app for ourselves just to track flights. We used Flightstats data, and we had an app for ourselves. That's it. Like That's how it started. And then our colleagues who worked with us were like, oh, that's pretty cool. Can we have access to that? Now, we realized that they're not quite as technologically uh capable so we weren't able to explain to them how to install an app in developer mode so we had to put it on the app store and thought there was going to be like 20 people using it and then about two months later after putting it on the app store for our colleagues we got an invoice from flight stats for like 800 pounds we're like what's this for they're like yeah it's for all the people tracking flights we're like how's it like 800 pounds for 20 people tracking flights they're like no it's like 20,000 people <laughs> so people just started downloading the app and we're like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then before you knew it, it raised to like 100,000. So now the data became quite expensive. And then we had to decide what is it we want to do. Do we shut it down or do we try something? And at that point, it's, I was at Swiss Re. So I got to see a lot happening in the parametric insurance space and sort of engaging with AIG at that point around parametric insurance. And we just said, hey, can we sell that parametric insurance product? They said, yeah, cool. Go ahead. Do that. And then we tested with the customers, and the customers were very clear in their feedback. They're like, oh, yeah, we'd love a flight delay and cancellation product if you can pay me real time so that I don't have to queue for vouchers. That, that was like their key thing. So we were like, yeah, 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 we can do that. And AIG was like, mm, no, we can't because we can't do real-time payments. <laughs> right? And that's where our journey started also with Inverse. Like, actually, we needed real-time payments, and they didn't have that in their system. I love those stories. Often people say the best businesses are started by people that have got a problem and go and figure a way to solve it because then at least you know you're solving it for one person and also i think you've given me the tagline if you allow us to use this for this episode which is the accidental entrepreneur it seems like you've sort of been there seen something almost accidentally turned into a business so for those of us that don't know that side of the industry so well other than i guess getting exposed to it from paying premiums or getting paid claims hopefully can you just explain what are the the problems that the insurance industry's got with payments that you set out to solve. So sort of just to connect off the back where I ended the previous story is, you know, AIG, much like many other insurers, basically said their problem wasn't choosing to offer real-time payments. It was available in the market. Real-time payout technology exists in the market. It was not a question of choice. That just was not connected to, in this case, the insurer core systems. And when you're looking at that point, you realize where the problem for the insurance world is as they try to think about offering payment technology to collect for premium, to pay out for claims, uh, pay out for rewards, is that 
There's a lot of choice out there. Vouchers, wallets, credit cards, bank rails, everything there. But how do you get that into the crazy spaghetti IT world of the insurer? They have legacy IT. Not everything works with API and everything new in payments is API driven. Um, they have multiple IT systems. You're not talking about one integration, you talk about many. You talk about finance process for reporting and reconciliation, which are not only maybe legacy, but also disparate. You have multiple locations you have to report to. Um, and now when you start thinking about an insurer who operates maybe multiple lines of business, the payment journey looks different. If you're paying household or motor insurance, you might be paying by credit card. If you're doing life insurance, probably not. You know, and In motor and household, when you get a claim payment under 500 pounds, you might be okay with getting a voucher. Life insurance is probably not going to pay you one million pounds in Amazon vouchers, right? So this need to have this variety compounds an operational problem that they have, which is the integration topic with the payments world, not the choice of payment type and vendor. And this is where we have focused and built our Ember solution is to solve that integration payment point. And we do that through a middleware SaaS solution. It feels like quite a lot of what we're seeing around different areas of insurance where, as you said, there are solutions that are available. In this case, it's like real-time payments, but it's that glue, the middleware, the how do those actually get integrated, particularly as you alluded to there, you know, not every system out there has got efficient ways of being able to connect up the data. You know, the more modern solutions will all have APIs, but there's lots of different ways you're working with your clients. But can we talk about one example to start off with where Inverse has come in for a particular line of business and and basically insert yourself into that process to make it more efficient for the insurer one side and the customer on the other side. You know, people associate payments with like credit cards and funky payment methods, but it's actually way more operational than that. And by way of an example, if you just take an insurer who runs a straightforward product, let's say we take a product line, you know, life insurance, deducting premiums via bank rail, direct debit, you know, nothing crazy, nothing funky. Sounds straightforward, sounds cheap. So a lot of insurers who you speak to will say, oh yeah, but that part is working and it's cheap and it cost me maybe half a P or one P or one euro cent to do the transaction. So if I had 100,000 policies that I deduct monthly premiums, I get to 1.2 million transactions and at half a P or half a euro cent per transaction, that costs me 6,000 euros or pounds. I'd be like, okay, that's great. That's cheap. The problem is that that operation doesn't cost you £6,000. It costs you about half a million pounds because what you're forgetting is that to offer that, within that experience, you have about 1.7 to 2% failure rates of direct debits, right? Just because people changed bank account or there was no money in their bank account. So now you're talking about like 10 to 12,000 payments a year. You have to build processes, right? So you have to say like, okay, if I don't collect money this month, I have to double deduct next month. Now you have to build finance process that if you double deduct amount, you have to split that amount and reallocate it to the accounts the month before. If you don't collect, then you have to triple deduct the next month and then build the finance process to reallocate the money backwards. If you don't collect, you have to cancel the policy and take the exposure out of your exposure calculations. I mean, that takes at least two finance people to do. So already you have that in place. You have to maintain those processes. You have letters going out. And then you have to have IT people who support that. What if there's an issue with payment? Is it a, a provider problem? Where do I load tickets? How do I support this? So with two IT, two finance people and software that you pay, you're actually paying half a million 
and you're not paying 6000 as you thought. And through a middleware like Imburse, it's about bringing that cost down by about, you know, 55, 60%, you know, down to like 200,000 pounds in, in this example, where by deploying it through us, you will continue to collect the direct debit. The moment the direct debit fails, you can ask the client, hey, do you want to capture a new direct debit mandate because you change bank and immediately try again? Do you want to pay this one premium by credit card, collect immediately so that it goes through the normal processes? And this gives you this flexibility that without having these huge IT projects to now connect the payment provider and offer these things, you can significantly reduce the operational cost. It's just an example of how payments is also an operational topic and something that seems super basic and straightforward. Never mind offering credit cards and wallets and all those kind of customer experience topics. Yeah, and Oliver, you know, why I love that example is you've gone straight to the cost saving and it's a very real cost saving. And it's very difficult often for technology companies to be able to identify what's known as the total cost of ownership or the re return on investment. That's really clarified. Just make sure I, just, I got that correct. So you, what you're saying is around 2% of failure of direct debits or some kind of transactions I guess it's, there's an efficiency and there's also, as you said, there's a, a remediation process where it doesn't have to go to a human. You're dropping that, well, it sounds like about 50, 60%. So the cost drops from around about 600,000 tutor currency to around about 200,000. So you've got a $400,000 sterling euro cost saving for the people that implement Inverse as, as an example. And that's just on 100,000 policies, right? And, and the, the problem is even if you only had a hundred or a thousand failed payments, never mind twelve thousand. So you would sit with exactly the same operational requirements to build the process and maintain it. it. Doesn't reduce the cost. The cost per failure actually is higher. So now if you have even more complex businesses, these operational problems multiply and you save even more, right? Yeah, no, thank you for reminding me of that. So so just so for those of us that aren't quite familiar with how many policies like you think you had life insurance as your example there, what would be a sort of realistic multiplier of 100,000 to how many policies they're processing and therefore multiplier on the on the cost saving? We're looking at driving like on basic infrastructure uh, from a total cost of ownership perspective around, a, I would say, about a 25p or cents savings per transaction. So if you have a, if you take a mid-sized maybe UK insurer who will have somewhere in the region of uh, somewhere between 200 and 500,000 policies, but what you often see is not 100% of them are monthly. So you can take, say, 400,000 times monthly would be 4.8 million transactions. Round that down to 4 million transactions. Some of them pay yearly. Um, and that gives you somewhere around the 800,000 that you can save on like a mid-sized kind of company. And then I assume this is not just a problem with payments. So is this also happening? Well, I know it is happening, isn't it, with other direct debits? I've seen it myself. So were you using technology and approaches when you set up Inverse that you were learning from elsewhere? Or did you have to build this from scratch yourself to satisfy the insurance need? I think we built something quite different because we approached it from the insurance angle and not from the payments angle. So what I often say to people, imagine there are two bubbles. There's the payments world and the insurance world. And you draw a line between those two worlds then you should put us on the insurer side of that line, not on the payment side. We're an operational middleware like that solves the integration into the insurer's world for the product that is payments. You know, We have no specific allegiances within payments. It's just one of the mechanisms that an insurer uses. And to that extent, 
our approach has been from the insurance perspective, knowing to cater for legacy systems, knowing to cater for multiple lines of business. So in that sense, we have built something new that payments wouldn't have built from a payment starting point of view and translated that into the payments world in order for the insurers to have way more value because they often get approached by payment companies who have great offers in terms of technology and customer journeys, but they have no understanding how to make that work within the operational reality of an insurer. So insurers got no understanding, but they've been trying to solve this for a while. You came in in 2018, it's like now we're five years on. But how, how did you as a, build a business around this? I mean, you clearly, you're smart enough to figure out how to do some things in other areas, but how do you discover the whole world of payments and start convincing people that you're the person to go to when you're an early stage startup? You fight very hard. <laughs> no, I think what is, what is important to know is that the fact that we pivoted gave us that initial step that an insurer said, we can give you the parametric product. We can just not do the real-time payments piece because if we do that, that's a 18-month IT project that's going to cost us a million dollars. If you can do that in short term without touching our core IT system and not that expensive, then we have a deal. Otherwise, we are not going to connect real-time payments. So that pivot forces you into like a product market fit. Then it becomes a question of, is this an actual replicable product? Is this only one insurer has the problem? Or do multiple people have that problem? And in which areas of the business? Then you try to hone in on the concepts that are everywhere. I mean, there are payment niche issues that insurers face that we are probably not covering as well because it's also not as replicable. Um, that might be very specific to an insurer. And from that, you create like a, a, a messaging that people can relate to, business cases, use cases that people can consume. And also just to be sort of transparent, I think well, we still need to do a lot of education within companies for them to understand the value that can be unlocked here. Because you must remember, an insurer's core competency, I would put down to underwriting and pricing. That's understanding risk, pricing that, and deploying that in a customer experience to the, to the client and consumer. Payments is not a core competency, but it's mission critical. So they don't spend the time thinking about every nuance of payments and understanding it inside out. They're more held back by their internal realities of operations, core systems. And so we've built and continue to build a path as a business that makes people like the CFOs and COOs suddenly the champions in the organization, move them from being the no people to the yes, and I can do it fast kind of people. And within that, we are building the business and people starting to understand, wow, I didn't actually realize we're spending this much money on these processes and these topics because they forget. You know, We had a client who was still issuing checks in the UK and that was done through Lotus Notes database. And once you look into the business case, people didn't realize they were still paying for the Lotus Notes technology. They just thought it was there and it was free. Turns out it was very expensive. It's like, it's like those cockroaches that survive a nuclear winter. It's just extraordinary that somebody's still using Lotus Notes. So you're dealing with payments. It's not like you came up with some technology to do a chatbot. So money, security, you're working with big organizations like MasterCard. We'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But again, in terms of your own credibility and ability to actually get the work done, how did you convince these organizations that you were a secure organization to work with? Well, that was always a really 
hard piece of work, right? So I think the importance is that we started off picking up a small project and showing exactly that we are reliable. So you don't go into an organization, a large insurer, and pick up all their premium collection for their main book of business, right? It, it's just too much risk. So bite of what they can stomach to test out, they see the opportunity and say within a certain environment, they're willing to test that and allow you to prove yourself. The thing we did proactively was we, for example, pre-engage regulators. And we basically shared how we do business, how our data flows work, how the money flows work. And in many markets had some comment from the regulators. And in other markets, we had actual written exemptions as to why we do not qualify as a payments company or a bank or an insurer, obviously. And that is for regulated entities like insurers, always very comforting to know, well, first of all, you knew to approach the regulator. They have seen it and they're okay with this. Then comes personal data. So you can show, hey, we understand your concern around personal data. We don't touch it. We handle it like this. And that already gives them a, a big amount of confidence that you understand the space that you operate in. Then it becomes a question around technology. And that's when they'd be like, okay, let's bite off this project. We test that out. Hey, you did well. And now the upselling starts. And then once you have your first client, the second one becomes easier. And once you have three clients, Everybody just assumes it works. Otherwise, you wouldn't have those clients. So after your third client, it becomes significantly easier. Yeah, it's that classic technology adoption curve and crossing the chasm you know, to be able to get that early majority on board that are going to then let you grow the business. And so, of course, you've got on one hand, you've got the insurers to convince, but you're also reliant on your your partners who are actually processing the payments. So how, how does that side of the business work? Think of us as this middleware, right? So in the middle, so we have partners in both directions. We have partners to the payment space, right? So they're also trying to understand how to do business in the insurance world, how to do that connection. You can imagine a bank or a PSP who wants to sell their services to an insurer, not wanting to get into integrations in legacy and core IT systems. It's also not fun for them. So a kind of proposition that allows them to also just have one place to connect on Imbrus, and then any insurer could access that is a very you know palatable proposition where they said, great, I don't even have to I commit so much resources. I can actually make the business case of payments and insurance work much better. So there's a big buy-in from that side, from the payments world, to see us as an enabler. I mean, even commercially, we don't take a percentage per transaction. We charge the insurer for the operational efficiency. We do not take the contract or the money from the payments world. So in that sense, we have great support from those partners. So we get a lot of technology, a lot of coverage that is obviously great for our clients. But now when we think about our clients, so the insurers that we target, is how do we get to them, right? So that means we focus a lot on core systems. How do we pre-integrate into core systems? So to make it even easier for our clients, that so there's not even an IT project there. Um, how do you work with partners such as the Accentures of the world, Mendix, who do bigger projects with clients around transformation to know that, okay, that comes with it. The, the concept is there, the understanding is there to make it easier to deploy. And that gives you also an amount of credibility to say that these companies put their name behind you, want to be deployed through you or work with you. And that gives you a different kind of credibility, but also a channel to scale because building just a direct sales force is great, but it, it limits you in terms of the growth you can achieve. And just you mentioned in that, PSP, one of the acronyms that I actually don't know. A PSP is a payment service provider, and this could be anybody like a Stripe, right? So, or a, an Etienne, a, a Six, SaferPay, WorldPay. 
they can take different forms of companies who offer you an opportunity to connect and they process the money. Because remember, Inverse itself, we have no money going through our bank accounts. We are not a financial institution. So you still need those people and those companies to still hold the money, go collect the money, find it and bring it to your bank account. And a PSP is one of those. Thank you. No, I'd love an acronym to add to my list. Just more broadly around insurance, I mean, you've seen this from different perspectives. You know, the insurers sometimes get a bad reputation of not innovating. We both know that's not true. But in defense of the insurance industry, where are you seeing some areas of strength with regards to innovation around the use of data and analytics? To build on your comment, I think insurers really do try to innovate. But some realities of their everyday, their business as usual, limits what they can do. And a lot of that sits in the operational side. So when that becomes hard and everything you try to do with a new customer journey, you know, and payments is just one of the areas. There are many other parts where every time you want to do something, you have to put like half a million pounds down. That's no good, no fun. And a lot of projects that you would like to do don't get done. So in that sense, you know, looking to enable insurers to actually move forward and innovate through solutions like ours, to actually start taking those steps forward, providing better um, services, better experiences, uh, building better businesses, allowing them to focus on their core piece and leverage our technologies is a way for the insurers to really start taking those big steps forward. And I really have to echo what you said. Insurers really do try to innovate. They really do. But they're very limited by the realities of their operations. And hence why the, the whole middleware, a big driver of innovation is that, that cost saving. And then... Again, more of a personal question for you here, Oliver, but when you founded the company, I mean, what people sometimes forget is when you're building a company, you've actually got two very big jobs. One is building your product, but you're also building a company. How have you yourself found it to to build up to 42 employees over the last five years? So it's been an incredible experience also learning, you know, of all the parts of the business. You know, before that, as you mentioned, I had like a an insurance career like i went from you know product development actually to a to a portfolio management actually and then into the innovation space and you get to see nice things but building a business you have to look at every part of the business and as you said like on one side you have the product you have the vision how do you want to do it and then you have to balance building the right solid thing to building fast because people have a demand for stuff and this is where i think one of my big learnings was is that sort of sales and product really, I don't want to say sit in opposition to each other, but if you go too fast on sales, you can compromise the product that you build. And finding that right balance between selling what you have and selling a little bit more that you have to inspire the product to evolve into that space, it's like a you know a string. If you pull it too much, it tears, but you have to have some tension on it to move forward. Right? Point about scale and growth and, and a bit of a capacity would have had a choice to make when you started off the business about do you develop technology internally or do you bring it outside, help people to help you? I'd just be interested to know how that's evolved over the last few years. So my experience there has been that in the beginning, especially with a startup, you're still even trying to figure out yourself what is going on. You, you don't even have a 100% clear view on what your product is. It changes from week to week. So this is important to have people in-house and around because if you do stuff externally, you use partners externally, you have to give specs, you have to give guidance. What is it I want to do? And if I don't know what I'm going to do or what I want to do, that makes that part really hard. So we build all the way to the end, actually exclusively with people in-house. 
from all over the world, but in-house. It also helps when you deal with regulated entities, everything from data governance, you know, who has access to what, it's better controlled. And when you go through all the procurement pieces to say, well, everybody's in-house, there's no external party, makes that part a bit easier. So that's very specific to the insurance vertical where this is an important piece. Now, later on, when you start having commodity elements around your product, that's when you can really explore like, okay, do I have to do this internally? with my really smart and capable resources? Or is there a partner who can just do this for me? Think of it like even like PSP integrations now. The fact that we want to move to another country and need 10 more PSPs. That work in itself is not so valuable, but it needs to get done. Building the platform that allows these people to connect, that is the valuable piece. So right now, we haven't really used external services, but could be on the roadmap later. Yeah, that's actually a really helpful perspective. And then... You were acquired by Duck Creek at the end of last year. They, in turn, were then acquired by Vista Equity Partners. Clearly a big impact on the business. Can you talk a little bit about what 2023 holds for you now with your new owners and, and presumably access to more capital to build the business out? Yeah. So also to understand like why we're also very excited about it is because, as I alluded to, like we have to build a product, and that product has to be stable, it has to be capable, you know, it requires a proper investment. And our clients need to know they're buying into something that will be around. You know, and while you're in the startup space, I mean they, they like what you do and they believe. But to really commit infrastructurally and operationally, they still hesitate. So being part of a much bigger group takes a lot of those topics off the table. We will be around. We have great backing. We can scale now. We can accelerate our market entry into the US, which would have cost us, I mean, personally, a lot. Now we have a partner who can really enable that way faster. And I think we're just part of a broader strategy where Duck Creek has convinced the market, and in, in this case, Vista, about its strategy to really invest into the modularization and their strategy. And we are part of that, of that piece. And that is, I think, why we're so excited because we fit into that. We fit into an organization that thinks about the future, wants to change something for the insurance industry and look at it not just at a very core level, but adjacent vertical services as well that should be part of the core to give an overall good proposition. So, a lot still to figure out, right? Um, Vista just did that. We're just joining a new company, but we're excited and, and really excited to see what their future holds. What about the, the fact you're now owned by Duck Creek, then they've got policy administration systems. How does that then work for somebody that's say, using Guidewire and wants to integrate you into the, into the Guidewire system? So even after we were purchased, we continue to operate as an independent organization to drive this capability for the insurance market as a whole. So we are still working you know, with Guidewire to be available on their marketplace. We're still working with uh, partners around Sapiens. And so that's the actual engagement with core systems. Our goal is to remain available, have a separate solution that is available for the clients and for a better proposition. And the same goes for clients who basically say, okay, starting with an insurer who says, yes, I want to use your services, but I use this in this core system. In that sense, we are agnostic. We don't prescribe a specific core system. We don't sell a core system. We sell payment services as a middleware. And that can connect to any core system. And that has not changed even after the acquisition and will not change going forward. We will build an industry-specific, so insurance-specific solution that is available to everybody. Yeah, and it seems like a really smart strategic move. You retain the branding of Inverse. You retain the ability to go out and sell semi-independently. 
there's going to be some kind of Chinese walls. I mean, not everybody works that way, so it's good to hear that's happening. For sure. I guess a couple more things before we, we wrap up. Delighted to have your support at Instec. Be great just to hear you know, why you felt that was going to be useful for you. As a startup, you realize how much you need to learn as you grow, right? You have a sniff of something, but you're not the expert in it. We never were. And so what you realize in the startup community, which I really enjoy, is people are eager to help. People are able to connect, network, share ideas. And out of that, we were able to build a good business. And for one, I think I would like to give that back and make some of the expertise that we have available to a great network of people who want to be part of something, who want to move something, already sets a good base as an and also benefit from it. We have not stopped learning. We will continue to grow in the insurance world. And it's a much about learning so that we build a product that people actually need. And we get to speak to people who have that need and can make that decision. And it's a great place to do that. And that's why we're really happy and glad to be a part of that. No, thank you. And it helps us also get some of those very early stage companies some visibility onto a stage. I mean, a lot of people working with now are, you know, are quite well advanced as companies, but it's always very inspiring to get early stage people on stage and, and follow them through their, their career. So thank you for your support. And then we've covered a lot there, but if somebody wants to go and learn a little bit more about Inverse and see how it might relate to what they're doing, what's the best way for them to find out more about you? So we have great uh, great information on our website, which is inversepayments.com. Um, that doesn't change. I think we have a lot of information there, also about all the people involved, so you can be able to find us. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn, share the kind of connections also internally. Um, another person, good person to be connected to at Inverse is our chief commercial officer, Michael Sharp, also on LinkedIn, based out of York, so also in the UK. So I think it's uh, quite a lot of material out there to be consumed. Great. And thanks for offering yourself. And, and obviously the article we wrote on Instec, right? There's the whole article that we have on information on your, on your portal. There's a very good article that Henry Gale wrote. In fact, so good, I had to find some new things to talk about for uh, yeah. this interview. So thank you for that. Uh, and thank you very much for your support. Before we jump in the elevator together, uh, <laughs> Oliver, is there anything we haven't talked about or I should have asked you about? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the learnings I have sort of, Come to well, come to appreciate is that insurers are very busy try to run a business and they're under pressure from all over. They are under the pressure from their boards to run an efficient business, like reduce costs, increase margins. They're under pressure from their competitors from a market share perspective. So it's protect market share, probably a bit more than it is gain market share. And then you're under attack from new market entrants who are bring a whole bunch of new stuff, like oh we you know setting and changing customer expectations. We want this, we want that. And what happens often within these insurers, you're fighting so many fights that you lose track of the elements that really are at the core and at the center of either making or breaking this. And and I'm not saying it's payments. Payments is one of them. All I'm saying is that people are starting to realize to look at their operations in a slightly more modular fashion and starting to understand that. And always happy to share some thoughts and what we've learned from working with uh, some of our clients, thinking about how do you look at the operational piece to unlock all these other opportunities around customer journey, um, savings, and so on. And I think that's something I see happening more now in the RFPs that you are seeing that are being written out there, the publications that are coming from the PWCs and stuff of the world. You're seeing it's a topic that is starting to bubble up and insurers are really starting to catch on. So anybody who wants 
any kind of more information on that, also have reach out to us. We can point you in the right direction and also just have a, a good old chat about that stuff. Yeah, and, and it just comes back to that savings point. I mean, I know that's not everything at all, but the fact you can define the, the business model or the value of the business literally on the back of an envelope or a napkin is, is really powerful. Okay, well, Oliver, you've kindly agreed to jump in the elevator for me. And the reason we do this is for someone that's listening and then they bump into somebody else in the corridor or virtually and they say, yeah, what's Inverse doing and what were Oliver and Matthew talking about? This is what they're going to have ringing in their ears. So 15 seconds, going down about five floors. Are you ready to start the uh, start the clock as we go down together? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Inverse as a payments middleware insulates you from all the payment-specific processes, does all the heavy lifting, so that as an insurer, you can focus on your core business and deliver everything from customer experience to cost savings related to your payments operation. Think of it as one connection to solve all your payment integration problems. Brilliant. That's spot on, Oliver. Thank you very much. Well, we're on the hour. I know you've got a lot of things going on. So thank you very much. And I'll let you get back to your job. And as we're recording this on Friday, have a, have a great weekend uh, in Zurich. Well, thank you for having me and have a great weekend yourself. Thank you. Well, that was another great discussion and a lot in there to take in. So if you'd like a transcript of this discussion, then please do send us a note if you enjoyed it. And we'd also appreciate any comments on LinkedIn, either one of your posts or you can find ours. There'll be a link in the episode or just track me down, Matthew Grant on LinkedIn or talk to any of us. Hello at instec.co. And of course, what we're up to on the website, www.instec.co. That's it. We're done.